you sit right down. All right, we You're are recording. about to see the best show in town. Okay. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, um, where typically we're right and you're wrong in the realm of film. Now we're branching over because Rotten Tomatoes has had the fucking temerity to branch over into the television genre. And people are just eating it up. Just like Pavlov's dogs. So we're here to follow up on a previous episode we had recorded. Uh, Our WrestleMania bonus episode this year, of course, was for Glow, the story of the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. And if you listen to that episode, at the end of it, we briefly discussed the television show that was in um, developmental stages that was targeted for Netflix. It had recently launched, and it's been the talk of the town. Yeah, we were pretty puzzled back then. We were trying to figure out how exactly that would work. Was it supposed to be a a faithful recreation of what we've just been talking about, Glow? Or is it just something like more loose, just going to be just women fighting? Yeah. And they were calling it Glow? Why was Mark Maron in it? We're trying to figure out. And now we found some answers. I mean, we were not going to sit through 10 episodes of of the Netflix show. We watched the pilot. And we're here for a little bite-sized episode, Bono episode about that. Um, it has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, which, again, why they feel the need to step into a genre they have no business in is beyond me. I, I don't know. I just know that, of course, now if, if you're promoting Glow, the Netflix show, you just say 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And, and, and now that's supposed to mean something. Yes. Well, uh, no, it doesn't. And we're about to do show you. <laughs> Did you know that people do uh, TV reviews, Alex? Not really. I know people have blogs, and some people have lesser than podcasts. Yeah, but no, it it happens. It it actually, uh, it's a thing, and there's a lot of them, and there's a lot of quotes. So I just went through all of them, and we'll start with Ellen Gray from the Philadelphia Inquirer says, Glow is fast and funny, furious and absurd, and I couldn't stop watching. Vern Gay from Newsday says, Glow is terrific, but how could it be otherwise? The source material alone makes this an instant winner. So that's a wrestling fan. Yeah. Eric Diggins from NPR says, In the same way the wrestling league surprised viewers 30 years ago, viewers may be surprised to find Netflix's Glow is one of the best shows they'll see this summer. You're shaking your head. Yeah, no. (laughs) Uh, James Puniwuzik from New York Times says glow is a hulking creature sewn together from pop cultural scraps but when it steps into the ring it reveals itself as a true original and then finally julie hines from detroit free press says much like actual pro wrestling glow is crafted to entertain in the crowded arena of original online content it deserves to be a champion these are just as lame as the movie reviews that we typically read yeah it's, it might be the same people it could be uh, so strike number one, uh, the show did not start off with Nasty and Mean, the song by the Ladies of Glow, uh, but the television show Glow, what we came to find is basically a loose, well, it's a dramatic retelling of Glow, but they choose not to name the people to protect the innocent. Right. But there is, as you would expect, obviously, women fighting mm. in spandex. Yes. There is... Uh, 
a movie director or a, some sort of director. Mark Mar- Mark Marin as Sam Sylvia, who's clearly Matt Simber from right, the right. actual Glow Project. And then just when you thought that uh, Mondo Guerrero was not going to be in the show, there is a guy. There. John Morrison, who plays, I had this pulled up here, Salty the Sack Johnson, which is honestly more entertaining than anything John Morrison's actually done in a wrestling ring for about six years. So, so he plays a wrestler that's supposed to train them in how to wrestle. And he's just a fucking mark. The the one girl tells him that her dad is so-and-so, and he just fucking marks out about it. But the, the show follows Allison Brie, who plays Ruth Wilder, who is an aspiring actress in Hollywood. And we see her you know, failed attempts at getting actual parts, which, to be fair, that uh, that was the story of a lot of women that ended up on GLOW. So it's not too far-fetched. Yeah, but you know, you said Strike One was the song. To me, Strike One was Alison Brie, and you opened with Alison Brie. Mm-hmm. It's just a close-up Alison Brie reading for this audition. And to me, as somebody who actually is familiar with Glow now after watching the documentary, it just felt a little insulting because Alison Brie is a known actress. <laughs> the story of Glow is a story of unknowns. Yes. You know, and then the first thing you see here is this this actress that's been in Mad Men and Community. Everybody knows who Alison Brie is. So it's kind of bullshit to open give your main She was character. British in uh, the five year engagement. She's done everything. Yeah. And now she can add nude scenes to her resume. But we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. They're there. Um, but yeah, to me, that, that was. Uh, come on. I mean, I'm not saying you can't have Alison Brie on your show, but don't open with Alison Brie. Don't give her the, the spotlight from the beginning. Give us an, an unknown. Yeah, if you want to tell the story of Glow, then just focus on some random, you know, out of work actress. Exactly. Give it. Yeah, it, it'd be truer to the spirit of the original show to do that and pay them very little. <laughs> so she is failing at her attempts to be an actress. She has these st- uh, scene study classes that are going nowhere. Um, so she shows up for this random casting call, which turns out indeed to be Glow, Mark Marin, the the coked out director of it. Um, having that documentary so fresh in our brains, you can see a couple of like wink, wink, nudge, nudges for actual Glow characters. But again, I became attached. I don't know about you, but I became attached to especially Mount Fiji, and I wanted someone on this show to represent her. Yeah, I think that they're they're. Uh... They're playing with our expectations in a mean way because, you know, they'll cast two or three potential people that could be the Mount Fiji character. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a uh, there's a bigger woman that's half Cherokee mm-hmm. in that. So that could be her. <laughs> but then there's like a bigger like African-American lady also mm-hmm. that makes a cut. Yeah. I think if I remember correctly, so that could be her because she's also like, you know, just bigger than everybody else and. and in the ring, or it could just be the Conqueror style, where John Wayne played Genghis Khan, and they. <laughs> it turns out we only watched the first episode. Allison Brie could be Mount Fiji for all we know. That's true. That's true. Uh, well, there's one. There's also the the stunt double, mm-hmm. uh, who's also uh, she seems to be one of the better wrestlers there. So just as far as quality of wrestling, that could be her. Yeah, but of course it is a sitcom, a, a dramatic television show, uh, what have you, whatever verbiage you want to use. So we have to have something to suck the audience in and. Allison Bree's life's just a shithole and uh, lives in a shitty apartment. Uh, we talked about it looked like she lost considerable weight for the role as well. Uh, yeah, and that leads – it has to have been because then that opens the door to Marin just being demeaning to her about her physique the yeah. way that uh, the real director uh, – Was to everyone. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, we see who we believe to be Ruth's boyfriend sneak in through her apartment window. Mark Egan, played by Rich Summer, who immediately I recognize as being the asshole from The Office and the asshole from the show named Love. And you also said he's an asshole on Mad Men. Mad Men. Turns out he's an asshole on this show as yes. well. Rich Summers is the worst of the worst. <laughs> he apparently, we find this out towards the end of the episode, is um, Ruth's best friend's husband, who she's having an affair with. They're terrible people. Mm-hmm. That's her friend is, uh, I guess, one of the few people that support Alison Bree's choices and careers. And she used to be an actress, and she is uh, she quit it because she was not happy, and instead decided to have a baby and be a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Uh, obviously, by the end of the show, it looks like she'll be a part of Glow as well. So yeah, the the teaser at the end of the episode, but you know, he was unsuccessful in splitting up Pam and Jim. And he's going to do what he can to split up, you know, Ruth. His own marriage. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) If he can't do anyone else's, he's going to do his, goddammit. So after a night of presumably cocaine and pills, Allison Brie basically psychs herself into going back after getting rejected from the casting call. She's determined to get the part and uh, spends the night watching Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan and thinks she understands what it is to be a wrestler. (laughs) Did you feel a tinge of offense when they just started? They took that shortcut to making things believable because if you did not have that uh archive footage of mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan and all the other wrestlers it would be the most ridiculous shit that she's doing in her in her bedroom by herself oh, yeah. she's wrapping herself in covers and jumping around and making funny voices and you're like this is bullshit so then in order to legitimize it what they do is they they put real wrestlers there like yeah. like that's supposed to make it better mm-hmm. And and it isn't. I, I, I thought that it was, uh, especially because later on when she goes for her second audition, when she's supposed to win them over, I yeah. mean, she's still terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's bad. And, um, I mean, she's a grown woman. I did that shit when I was a little kid watching Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, but that she's an adult. She has an apartment. She has, you know, responsibilities. But she goes back to the warehouse where the ring is constructed, and her best friend, you know, figures it out and confronts her, and they start, you know, working a match there. And uh, coked out, Mark Marin comes out and sees dollar signs in this. And everybody's coked out in this show. Oh, it's the eighties. Uh, but you can see we see what he basically foresees Glow to be, and it's this. It could turn out to be in the as the series goes a flashback because, but we basically just see like an actual wrestling ring with a crowd and a match between Allison Brie and her uh, her best friend rival. Uh. Yeah, uh, Mark Maron has uh, he's coked out and he has to return some videotapes after <laughs> after this match. Uh, yeah, it, it's a uh, it, it that's basically it. Like they they call it they they stop the fight after he's, after he's had his fantasy sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, did it look to you? You've seen more glow than I have. Did it look like a plausible glow? Like if you didn't know that Alison Brie is an actress and whatever, you know, could you cut this little match that he sees in his head and put it in an old? glow show a glow, oh, an old glow yeah, episode absolutely. and it would absolutely it would go yeah so they get they get points for that at least yeah i mean glow was never technical wrestling at its finest <laughs> i'll tell you where i think that they lose points big time and is that uh yes we we talked about it during the documentary that the the wrestlers in glow they're all characters and they're very two-dimensional characters very stereotypical characters but it was never that the women themselves were characters. Right. 
but the show makes it look like the women were characters outside the ring. Yeah. From the moment they show up to the audition, they're already like, oh, well, I'm the big Cherokee and I'm like the, the, the badass stunt double. I'm the goth. Yeah. And it was like, lady, that that makeup came like after you got cast. That That's how it's supposed to be. It in, was in Matt Simber just, you know, in a coked out rage, just being like, okay, you're going to be this and you're going to be that. Right. The whole idea, once again, and it makes me fear that the people behind the show just missed the point of the original Glow, which is it was regular people like mm-hmm. the story of glow is about regular people that became entangled in this thing that grew into a, a, a phenomenon but instead here is a famous actress that we know trying to pretend like she's not successful uh in a show about that's supposed to be about regular people and then surrounded by by characters and by mark maron yeah uh, mark maron is mark maron and i love mark maron but He's just Mark Maron in this show. <laughs> he is. He's not playing uh, Simba. It was friend. real cocaine. <laughs> yes. He's just enjoying himself. Uh, so it was definitely uh, just the tip with Glow. So we, you know, we dabble, we dipped our toe into the pool. All right. So, well, then the last thing I want to do before we jump to uh, real talk, though, is that there is something that I did not feel at all when we were watching the documentary, and that was very apparent once we built to the climax here, uh-huh. which was this whole sense of, man, women are so emotional and get violent and whatever, because uh, the best friend storms into the set carrying her baby yeah, and challenges... And Awesome Kong has to be like, can I hold that for you? <laughs> yes. It, it challenges Alison Brie to a death match. Yeah. And then everybody gets like this bloodlust pumping, and they just like let them go at it. And the, Maron is watching from his tower, and then the other restaurant is just encouraging it too. And and it just happens, and you're like, what is this? You're dehumanizing women, you know? Because you can say, okay, they were doing this for the for for the money because they needed a job or whatever. Yeah, that justifies them showing up to the audition and being part of the show. But what justifies them just? <laughs> Standing around while being written as stereotypical women. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like, oh, well, of course, that's what we have because they're crazy women. So not everyone cared for it, though. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, I there were three green splotches, and uh, one of them wasn't that that fun to read. So I just picked two. Uh, one is from Rachel Oresti from The Guardian. She says, "If it had only allowed you to turn off the bits of your brain that notice horrendous flaws." Perhaps Glow could have been more open about what it truly is. A problematic riot, but one that's by no means here to change anything. She wanted more of a social... There's a lot wrong with that. Uh, And then Meryl Barr from Forbes says, Based on the first five episodes of the series, it's just not a fun story to binge. Is it important? Maybe. Is it anything more than oranges and new black with wrestlers? Not really. Again wildly wrong if i cared about about quotes and all that stuff this would be enough to turn me off because i'm not a fan of orange is the new black i i gave it like almost a full season so uh but no of course this lady is four episodes ahead of us who knows maybe things change dramatically <laughs> but i yeah i mean it's again i already tell you just from my perspective glow importance not the right word if you listen if you go back and listen to our bonus episode where we talk about i said there's a lot of things they did that were lifted but I mean, it's not like it's a very interesting little note in wrestling, and I'm really curious due to the success of this if WWE will finally admi- bring it back and ad- not bring it back, just admit its existence. Because oh. like, if you follow wrestling, the WWE's 
history of wrestling outside of WWE is very splotchy. Mm -hmm. Like they recognize what they want to, and they have never recognized glow. Uh, And a lot of like old timey wrestlers thought it was just horrible. Well, this sounds like real talk. So let's transition into real talk. Okay. Well, that was some real talk. (laughs) So basically, yeah, with this review of this one episode of this, it was basically to, uh, kind of springboard off of our bonus episode. Um, both Julio and I were interested in watching this just in general, not just for the podcast. And then also the prevent female theme of it kind of segues into our next arc as far as our episodic uh, run goes, which Julio, this was kind of your brainchild. So if you could... Go ahead and explain what they can expect for the next few episodes. Um, yeah, I don't remember if like we mentioned, we might have mentioned it in the last one, but uh, it boils down to I think in our run, women of- aren't funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, it was it's more like women are they split the critics more often, at least based on a very unscientific uh, purview yeah. of Run Tomatoes. Which our, leads- our current president of the United States had cast judgment on <laughs> Ghostbusters before it came out. Oh, well, there you go. Basically, if you look at uh, most of our episodes, we had only one movie directed by a uh, woman, um, which was uh, Chris Farley and David Spade. Oh, Black Sheep. Black Sheep. And, uh, and the rest directed by men. So in order to correct that, we're going to do a stretch of six episodes of movies directed by women. But really, the thing is, like every time I thought of a movie that we could try to do it was never either super high or super low on Rotten Tomatoes which mm-hmm. means that you know I'm sure that this is not 100% right but I think that generally uh, female filmmakers split Rotten Tomatoes more often than not mm-hmm. so that means that it's harder to find movies that qualify for our criteria uh, that doesn't mean that they're not there though because like I said I found six that I think are a pretty good range of movies that we can yeah. go through uh, so uh Starting on the next episode, we're going to have Ian Flux, uh, which is rotten. According to Rotten Tomatoes, we might love it. Uh, and then Lost in Translation, which is fresh. And then yeah. uh, we'll have Bewitched, which is rotten. And then Zero Dark Thirty, which is fresh. And then we'll have Loser, which is rotten. Yes. And our big finale with Big, which is fresh. Oh, Obviously, all of, this, uh, all of these movies directed by women. And then we have this as a as a prologue. Mm-hmm. We have this bonus episode. This pilot, as far as I could tell, it was not directed by a woman. Uh, I was actually reading back through that. Several episodes throughout the season are this one was not. Okay. So, so yeah, it's... Uh... Who's the showrunner? Because I, I know that there were... I recognize the name of the uh, showrunner for uh, Orange is a New Black, but I don't think that she was listed as showrunner herself. It was just like a producer. Yeah, it's created by uh, Liz Flahive and Carly Mensch. And I mean, we but just, it is a show about women. Yeah, it is, and about Glow, which was about women. I mean, in s- some cases for the wrong reasons. I mean, it, it was a lot of exploitation, like women's wrestling's been exploitation of uh, the female body. But at the same time, much like women's wrestling now, it gives some little girls a sense of hey, I can do something like this. So it's a double edged sword, right? So, but, <laughs> but not everything we talk about is going to be a double-edged sword. Just <laughs> women's wrestling and glow in particular. <laughs> well, how do you you are the wrestling fan of this team? So, how did you feel about the show as a pilot? Number one, did it make you want to watch 
the next nine episodes. Absolutely. I mean, just because the story of Glow interests me, obviously, and it was, it flew by for a 40 minute episode. I was surprised how fast it flew by. I mean, all my shit talk about John Morrison aside, just because he really rubs me the wrong way. But yeah, I mean, it's always cool to see like wrestlers in a show that like mainstream people are talking about when it's not 1985 anymore. It's like. <laughs> And it's not John Cena because that's nowadays. It's like we go through phases like that in the '80s, late '80s. Everyone, oh, that's what Hulk Hogan does. And then in the '90s, that's what Stone Cold Steve Austin does. And now it's like, oh, John Cena or The Rock, you know. But yeah, as far as a wrestling standpoint goes, it's fine because that's exactly what happened with Glow. A bunch of women who had never taken a bump in their life. They're like, all right, do a front bump. So you were watching the training montage or the audition montage or whatever, and you were you were like, yeah, that doesn't look right, or were you like, ah, oh, that sounds. Yeah. They're making them, like, bounce off the ropes and, like, do the... Yeah, the way they were running the ropes is how you and me would look if we got in a wrestling ring and ran the ropes, which is accurate. <laughs> you know, I almost turned and asked you if you'd ever done that. No, it's supposed to be fucking brutal. I've really? Been, yeah, I've been in a wrestling ring before, but, like, I've talked to people that have trained and, like, just watching shit about it. Especially if you're hitting them for the first time without a shirt on, you're going to get, like, fucking serious rope burn. Because you have to hit it the right way to get momentum and everything. And yeah, despite what you may know, there's a science to that shit, y'all. But they make it look so easy. Yeah, like when John Morrison's running the ropes, because he's done that fucking 8,000 times, including a fucking horrible match in Orlando, Florida, that I watched him have with Brian Cage recently. But yeah, Allison Bree's good. I always felt like she was untapped oil. Like, I thought she offered a lot more than anyone really gave her a chance to run with. <laughs> fucking Rich Summer. Fucking talk about typecast, man. He's like the he Ice does, Man. He doesn't even look like, like like a particularly weaselly guy. I mean, Madman, he grows into being a weaselly guy, but because uh, it's always who you least suspect, man. That's right. Yeah, the guy that looks that's so quiet and whatever. But yeah, here he gets one scene. Right, it's just one scene where he comes into her bedroom, and has he, sex with her. Yeah, I was gonna say he bangs her. Yeah, talked no. about uh, untapped potential. <laughs> Yeah, it, I'm definitely going to watch the rest of it. it. It looks like a lot of fun. I think it already has, you know, and this could come and go. It's done a good service to the glow, uh, what glow was. It's not like, see, I talk about that WWE shit. Like, if WWE had it their way, they would rewrite it as, like, glow was, like, this noble platform for these amazing women athletes that came along, which, <laughs> it's, which is how they build their women's division. And it's like, well... You can literally just watch old videos and see that's not the case. But with Glow, you know, it's an accurate representation. I feel it's well presented from what I've seen so far. And I'll be interested to see kind of how it goes. And also, major kudos for them putting the documentary up at the same time as their show, too. Yeah, it's, that's smart. Yeah. Because that would allow somebody to actually instantly, you can just jump into the documentary and see, okay, what was it really like? My, well, just like the show. The guy I work with said he binged the show, and then he's like, oh, I'll watch the documentary. And then, like... Not as many laughs. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he said. He's like, it was going good, and then it just kind of took a, a sharp turn, and it was really hard to watch. I, I really, really, to me, the highlight is Mark Maron. I found him really funny, pretty much everything he did. Um, even though I, I still, I mean, like I said in hashtag CC, he's Mark Maron. Yeah, but I think that's that's perfect casting. Yeah. Um, I mean, Alison Brie was great too, but I think her character is supposed to be. A little annoying when she gets in the ring and starts improvising. That was just uh, it, it was awkward, and I didn't find it funny. But I don't think I think it's supposed it's to be not supposed awkward, to be, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would I would call Marin the uh, really the MVP so far. Yeah, uh, 
I'm sure you will get it's a TV show, so you get to explore all the characters. I did read Joey Ryan, who's like one of my most despised wrestlers, like legit, is on a future episode, so I may have to fast forward through his segment. Maybe he gets beaten up. Yeah, so definitely continue watching it and fun little reprieve from what we usually do. Yeah, and also, like, we're joking about the Mattis rule. I mean, it really, maybe the pilot is 40 episodes and then it looked like everything else was 30 minutes. I'm sorry, the pilot is 40 minutes and Mm -hmm. then everything else looks like it's 30 minutes or less. Have we explained the Mattis rule on the podcast? I want to say we have to have done it at some point. Yeah. I mean, we don't really talk about TV much often, but... uh, Films over 90 minutes, you're pushing it. Television shows over 30 minutes, you're really pushing it. Yeah, well, that that means that the Mattis rule cuts out a lot of really good stuff that's only one hour. Yeah, I mean, it's also, like I said, that's the, there's exceptions to every rule. <laughs> there's a lot of movies I love that are three hours long. If you go over 90 minutes and it's a bad movie, it's immediately in my mind going to make it so much worse. Right. Like right. Dawn of Justice, whew. My God. Yeah, I think it gets, you have more to prove the moment that you go past a 90-minute mark. And speaking of which, Christopher Nolan, he heard about the Mattis rule. That's why Dunkirk's only going to be an hour and 48 minutes long. Like eight minutes past, you can look past that, because most of his credits probably. Yeah. 70 millimeter. <laughs> but yeah, that, that that's the first episode of Glow, I'm sure, in a future episode in our plugs, I'm sure, because you're going to go and watch it, right? Yeah, I'll, I'm sure I'll binge it at some point. It's it's only 10 episodes. And it's I guess a small it's commitment. Yeah, no. I can probably do it like in a Yeah, night. you can't fucking watch Master of None? No, because I have developed this this uh, antipathy against it mm. just because everybody tells me how awesome it is. It's and, amazing. And I watched the first episode and was like, this is not awesome. This well, is like Lego <laughs> movie bullshit. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure it gets better. I mean, it's possible oh, that all those people... Are so good, dude. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know. That's also 30 minutes, right? That that first episode felt like an hour. The Well, okay, so the first season, there's a couple episodes that are an hour long. Most of them are 30. The second season, the uh, the season premiere of the second season is an hour, and the second to last episode is an hour. That sounds like a lot. Dude, of, but like the second to last episode is, is like a fucking movie. It's so good. I highly recommend it. Or you can just go and watch Love, because those are all 30-minute episodes. Love, I mean, you know, I like Britta from Community. Mm-hmm. and uh, Bring it full circle with yeah, Community. Yeah, and the guy, uh, I don't remember his name, but he's the guy from uh, I Love You, Beth Cooper. That's it, right. Yeah. That's he, always your go-to with that. Yeah. yeah, he deserves better. Than Beth Cooper? Uh, than, than that movie about <laughs> Beth Cooper. No, Glow's good. Uh, but, yeah, so this is the starting point of our female... Or women good, men bad. I guess Juno could have really been the start of that. Right, but then we, then we had one last shot of testosterone with the Wild Bunch. That's true. Jesus. What a role. Yeah, yeah it's, that's the world we live in. All right, so off with this bonus episode. No plugs, because we'll have plugs in the next one. We don't need love, and we don't need pity. We want you to like us so we can get your money. Ha!
Come sissy and we'll not.